The Football Pod on OTB Sports. Do you still listen to the Football Pod or is that like texting your ex? Absolutely. As I often said, I'm jealous that uh, I don't know who's so good, the little whore. <laughs> the Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. All right, Keith Wood is with us. Evening, Keith. Good evening, uh, Nathan. How are you? I'm not too bad. Uh, it's a couple of weeks since we've had you on and we never had a chance to pay tribute to Phil Bennett, who passed away at the age of 73. Obviously a, a very different era, but I know you're both in the World Rugby Hall of Fame and I'm so sure someone you grew up watching and might have spent a bit of time working with as well through the years. Um, we got into the Hall of Fame together, which is maybe a factor of... Uh, maybe being older than I look or maybe looking actually my actual age but um, I remember going on a bus myself and my wife um, you know we were last onto the bus that were going to those awards and you had all those greats from the 70s on it and you just like you felt you were on the wrong bus and you felt you were like a, almost like a schoolboy with these guys that, that were that were there with Gareth Edwards and, and Benny on at the back I mean he was uh, for people of my vintage, I think we would have uh, grown up knowing and loving the 101 great tries um, and seeing that he featured in so many of them. And uh, his sidestep was was magic. And of course, it goes back to the 1973 game. And But none of that actually does justice to him as a, as a, as a guy. He was just a total gent. Um, lovely guy, had time for everybody. Um, would introduce himself to you when you'd meet him as if you wouldn't know who he was and um, yeah look it's, it's a very sad passing and uh, he's a guy that graced the fields didn't always get his own way actually he was in the team for Wales for a while which is kind of extraordinary to think when uh, when he was as gifted as he was we see so much rugby now we see absolutely every game it's interesting you mentioned the 101 great tries because for players of that era we didn't see a huge amount of rugby so you didn't get to see every magic moment so those tapes and being able to sit down meant that somebody like like Phil Bennett had a massive role in young people's lives and young rugby players watching him and thinking actually this is this is what this game is all about well, I think so. And look, if look if if people haven't had a chance to see it, it's, the whole thing is on YouTube. If you look at the 1973 Babas game against the All Blacks and apart from the crazy high tackles and clothesline tackles and a couple of dubious forward passes, which I think will go in, in terms of entertainment, um, it's his place that starts the excitement of that game. Um, with the most outrageous sidestep like it's a feint looking one way going the other but he almost goes backwards he sidesteps so much and then does it again and um, of course it is like that was 1973 so I can't remember that I was born in 72 but it was one of those games that you would um, anytime something would come up it showed half of that game because that was like a highlights reel in itself so it's worth watching on YouTube for, for listeners to get a chance just to see it's very different quite crazy actually the hacker at the start of that is amazing looks like a group of Morris dancers but it's um, it is a, a definite throwback to a different time but some of the play that was in that game was incredible and he was instrumental in so much of it so this never-ending rugby season rolls on and I was on Instagram looking at the Irish players uh, showing the blue, beautiful scenery in New Zealand they were, they were landing over the past 24 hours and they're pretty much straight into it against the Maoris and then into a three-test series against the All Blacks 
and it feels as though the Irish players an awful lot of them are travelling on that tour in a, in a sort of different mindset and maybe different confidence level than where they would have been five or six weeks ago or where they even left the Six Nations Championship from your experience of end of season tours how relevant is that club form that provincial form and the, the maybe hangover the disappointment that has gone on in the weeks before how much does that cross into when you get on the plane for an Ireland tour? It does cross in, but that's the the key role of the management and the senior the senior players and the captain is to try and make certain that this is that that has scratched off that that is a knock to the confidence and and collective confidence of a lot of the players in the squad. Um, you know, the, it's for all our provinces they ended in failure and losing their last game. So that's that's one of those elements. Um, but that was a long season and this seems to be the start for the World Cup next year That's it's, it seems to be part of the conversation that's happening that this is what this is so for that alone you get energised even though you're tired but they've had a few weeks off or a couple of weeks off they, um, they it, you know, it, a lot of the guys yeah is that, sorry is that a hard sell for Andy Farrell is that a hard sell for this is the start of a World Cup cycle when these guys are coming off the end of what's felt like an endless season I don't think so I think it's um, the carrot of a World Cup and the fact that Ireland have never progressed past a quarter final is and we're in a really horrible side of the draw is um, is something I think that for a lot of the players who are in the end of their their playing time you know this the next 18 months will be the end i think of maybe six seven or eight of the players um if that happens they want to be able to try and go out in a high and do something that all the previous generations haven't done and so i don't know that it's a, a fatigue thing that sets in there's an excitement when you go into camp and um, there's an excitement when you go on tour when you go to new zealand it's tough uh, the crowd is difficult. Uh, the fans are difficult. They have a high expectation of skill level and entertainment. And if that isn't uh, shown, uh, they're quite comfortable to um, to show their displeasure. So it's like it's a really tough place to go. Um, you could end up having four different seasons down there, like you'd have up here sometimes in the winter. But it could be snowing down there in some of the matches. Um, it could be sunny for some of the matches. You're trying to get your head around the idea of touring and it's been quite a while since there's been midweek matches in the tour. I love the fact that there are. Um, it is a bit of a throwback, but it's also a great place for uh, for players, uncapped players or guys without a huge number of caps to get an understanding of wearing a green jersey on foreign soil. It's a tough thing to do and it's a great thing to do. Has your view of where Ireland are and their chances of you know of winning in New Zealand ha- have they changed by the way the provinces finished the season have they changed since the end of the Six Nations no um, and not not because I'm kind of looking at it blindly but for uh, I think Ireland were in a good space during the during the Six Nations. Um, I think they made enough of mistakes that you would expect Andy Farrell and Co to to work on that and to try and bring that to a next level. Um, I think some of the losses that were shown at the end of the season were ones that. Uh, I, I, when we're talking Leinster in particular, um, I thought Leinster didn't play well. 
on, in in either of those matches that that um, that they got knocked out in, in and um, I thought their performance during the year was an awful lot better. And people can talk about the reasons that the lack of quality in some of the competition and some of the standard or whatever, but. Uh, for me, I, I just didn't think that they got their head into the game properly. And um, yes, they were bullied at different times in the forwards, but they still have the skills to be able to deal that. I thought they actually went into their shell. And that's just not, we're not used to that so much. I know we've seen it a couple of times in the last few years, but we thought that that was going to be gone this year. Um, that's the biggest lesson, I think, for Ireland to, to, to garner out of um, uh, Leinster's demise at the end of the season is that you still have to go and play you still have to take the risks you do have to take the ball to the line there's certain things you need to mix up and there's a risk that's involved in an awful lot of that but play and play rugby that's the way the game has gone for a huge amount there are very few teams that play of the the really big heavy hitting standard France are one of them um, South African teams are others um, how do you deal with that at international level I still believe you need to be able to outthink them. I don't know that you can deal with them exactly on a pound per pound basis. Um, and I think that's one of the elements that you just have to be smarter than the opposition and, and because you're going to be under a huge amount of pressure. But I don't know that you can play percentages. And I felt Leinster probably played percentages. I got, think they got some of their selection wrong. And um, they're lessons that the national team can learn from. When you look at the squad that's heading over then, there's five on-cap players, but there's you know, lots of other players in that squad who haven't reached double figures in terms of caps. And you mentioned the opportunity of a tour to New Zealand and uh, for the coaching staff to learn about those guys, but also for those players to understand what it's like at the very toughest level. Who are the two, three players that you look at for this tour that you feel it's a real opportunity to get themselves into a, into a starting 15? Yeah, well, look, there's there's a there's a few actually, and there's a few of um, look. I think Munster have limped for a lot of the season, um, and it's been very very frustrating as a monsterman to watch it. And um, I so I found that part hard. I want to see whether some of the Munster players come out of their shell. Um, I want to see whether Joey is able to reignite. Um, his undoubted promise but he hasn't done very well and I did mention about six or seven months ago that the manner in which Munster were playing I think was affecting their selection for the Irish team and it was putting them under huge pressure and I still think that's the case but once you go on a tour um, it's an opportunity to wipe the, the, the slate clean so I'd like to see whether some of the Munster guys can can get a run, can do different things, can play differently. I'd like to see whether Craig Casey gets a run as well. Um, he gets criticised a lot and he's a young guy coming on, on the scene. Um, I liked it when he came on the scene first, when he, he played the ball as he saw it. And, and I think that has almost been coached out of him in Munster and that's an issue. So that needs to be coached back into him and let him go and play because he has a talent and we want to be able to see it. I, every time I see him slow the game down, I know that this is a coaching directive and I don't like it. Um, uh, I'd like to see him play naturally. Um, but for, for us, I think for anybody that has an interest in rugby, we're looking at uh, what can happen in and around Johnny and whether he continues to play which he wants to play. Uh, he's still playing very well. Um, we do know that under huge pressure, he has to take the ball to the line a bit more. 
um, who are the other players that are going to take that jersey away from him and a lot of the, a lot of the time uh, you kind of almost feel as if oh my god would you just make a decision on who it is that's going to be there but none of the decisions seem to pass muster so um, I'd like to see Harry Byrne in, in an opportunity to go and play and I would like to see it um, and I'd like to see Kieran Frawley get a chance because people talk about him as a 10 but he rarely gets the chance to play there um, but we need someone to control the game and our, our issue has been at different times that when we're not under pressure um, and if Johnny is on the field we control the game very well and actually even under pressure when Johnny's on the field we control the game very well and um, he has proven to be more resilient in the last 12 months than he was in the previous ones I think he's managing his game time properly or they're managing his game time but I still think we need to see more out of our outside backs and we need more people to step in instead. And um, at times that worked really well during the season, but it doesn't seem to be quite as seamless when we go to the next next in line. But someone has to grab the jersey. That's what, that's what a tour is great for, because it matters, but it kind of matters in a different way. Like if you lose one match in the Six Nations, you're, you know, you're fighting a rear guard action to have an outside chance of maybe winning the championship. Um, you know, Ireland get an opportunity to play in New Zealand. They play the Maoris, which would be incredibly tough, physical and fast games, very skillful games. Um, the ones that matter at the tests, are we able to sneak a test win? Are we good enough to do that on New Zealand soil? I don't know if we are. But um, but I know that there's a load of guys down there who'd like to be the first guys to do it. Barring injury, Keith, it still does feel hard to envisage a situation where somebody does grab that jersey off Sexton over the next 15 months ahead of a World Cup. Like, how do they do that? Do, how does Harry Byrne go about that process of putting himself in the mix to be a starting 10 at a World Cup in 15 months' time? Is it starting a game in New Zealand playing exceptionally well and coming back and then forcing Leo Cullen's hand? Like, how, how do you actually see that working out for Harry Byrne to in a position to put real pressure on Sexton? Yeah, it's look, it's Harry Byrne and Joey Carberry and maybe Kieran Frawley. And um, I think an awful lot depends on how they turn up in the first week, the first 10 days. It also depends on what happens with injury. But I don't expect Johnny to start all three of them. In fact, I think that would be the wrong thing for the team to do. And um, but I'm looking at it and saying, well, we're only guessing from here because um, Joey has been in very patchy form. Um, Harry has been in and out of games. He's had no um, concerted period of time where he's held on to the ten jersey and delivered for it. And Frawley hasn't played there at all. So um, I, look, we had this conversation four years ago, and uh, Nathan, you and I had this conversation mm. four years ago with a high level of frustration with the fact that we thought Johnny was nearly past it then. Um, I think he had a dip post the World Cup. I, I think he's come back and played incredibly well. Um, he had a good few injuries. He seems to be fairly secure, um, but we still have a dearth behind him. And so those are decisions that have to be made by Farrell now as to prepare for it. And it's funny, I keep looking at different comparisons and um, and I know he's young, but I, I looked at Marcus Smith in, in Harlequins this year and actually their key players, which would be Don Brandt, uh, Kerr, Smith, uh, Esterhuisen in the centre, they play every game. They nearly play 80 minutes of every game. 
it isn't as if they're chopped and changed or not. They're the main guys to 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 play the game out, and we need to be able to get ourselves into the idea that we don't have to take players off in a period of time, and we need to be able to give players an opportunity to go and play for eighty minutes and see what it's like. Yeah, it does feel very similar to a conversation we were having four years ago and maybe a conversation we'll be having in a year's time. I want to play this, Keith, a nice little memory from a trip to New Zealand. The All Blacks losing out on their own line out. Here's uh, Keith Wood showing some versatility. Now let's have a look at this. Oh, how's that? How many hookers around the world of international rugby can do that? Well, commonly referred to by a lot of journalists certainly was commonly referred to as the world's number one hooker uh, was that 80 yards Keith? Uh, it was easily 140 yards um, <laughs> at, at this stage um, yeah that was funny how many hookers would be allowed to do it maybe being the other idea that was a hoof of a ball um, I used to defend on the New Zealand lineouts. I used to defend inside Raj um, so if they put a, a hefty guy coming up that channel, um, I'd try and get in and do it. And we, uh, I, don't, I don't know who it was, but somebody snaffled the line out and Stringer just flung it to me. And rather than give it to Raj, I hoofed it. Um, and it was a funny one. I think Andrew Mertens called it a pig. It was a yellow Adidas ball and it was a horrible ball. It was kind of unusual shape and had a strange trajectory. And Raj had a shocker with it. Uh, he hated kicking it. I think it got into his head. Um, he hated kicking it off the tee and he hated kicking it um, out of hand. Um, that was an agricultural hoof. So it would have been a 50-22. Um, it was a decent kick, actually. Was but, that was that uh, your retort then to Raj and his moaning about it? That, listen, just get it, do it. Well, it was, it was funny because um, uh, Declan Kidney, actually, I overheard Declan trying to explain to Raj, well, the way Woody kicks it is, and Raj didn't take that very well. And the problem was Raj would, could stroke the ball. He was, a, he was a fantastic kicker of the ball. It just didn't take that. It wanted a big old agricultural size 11 boot and bang it down the field. Um, and it bounced where you wanted it to then if that happened. So I'd like to say there was skill in it. There was a little bit of skill. And I did practice kicking quite a lot. Um, and people would say I should have practiced throwing more often. But I did practice it because the game was less structured then. And you never knew what was going to happen at different times and in different places. And you need to have different skills. So I always felt it was part of it. And actually, in the more amateur days, it was the setup for my um, my warm-up was kicking balls to touch and having an odd drop goal and trying to feel kind of happy and light about myself and not kind of worry about the, the full uh, pressure that was going out. You could go and have a bit of crack beforehand. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but... Well- Fun. It was we we I don't know whether that was the first or second test. I can't I can't remember, but we should have won it and didn't. And that's something that irks with me a lot, I have to say. When we talk about tours, it's usually lines tours and all the mystique that goes with that. It feels like Irish tours is a bit more realism and it's a bit more results orientated in terms of how we reflect. When you think of New Zealand and a trip to New Zealand, did you go there believing you could win? Um, yes, well, I always thought we could win, I have to say. And I'm a pragmatist, which either makes me a liar or a total dreamer. But Did your um, teammates believe they could win? 
Uh, sometimes yes, sometimes no. I, I think that would be fair to say. Um, and I did think at different times we had teams where we were getting ourselves to the position where um, we had players who not only believed they could win, but actually could have an impact on the game. I, like I think for 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 in my career it changed. I've been very comfortable to say this. It changed when um, when Brian O'Driscoll came on the scene. Um, because I thought we had an opportunity to win any game, even if we weren't playing well, because he could magic up something. And a lot of players, um, so he was a, he was fully professional. He'd never worked. He'd been a, a student, but it wasn't it was it was a student for him to go and play rugby. You know, he was he was a rugby player through and through. A lot of us had worked prior to that, and we were near the end of our career when he came along. And he had a standard that was different to um, to what we had. We were trying to get to a standard of professionalism at the end of our career and there's elements of old dogs and new tricks and things like that. Uh, he was a young kid who had, um, uh, had, he wasn't cocky and he actually really wasn't cocky. He was extraordinarily comfortable and confident in himself and his abilities and I think it rubbed off on an awful lot of players so we went down in 2002 and I was back up to the tour in 92 and um, New Zealand scored in the last minute to, to win uh, one of those tests in 92 and but I don't know that there was a huge amount of belief going out on that tour in 2002 we said yeah let's take the chance and we were down in Dunedin and we thought this was a chance that we could. Um, they hadn't played as a squad. They changed a lot of the squad. And um, there's a bit of that happening now as well. There's a few changes that are coming into it. You have to take those opportunities and you try and take them very early. Now, Ireland are infinitely more organized now than we were in 2002. We still thought we could go and win the game. And we were in the game with five minutes to go and they scored a, tr a try at the end, which brought it outside of, out of distance. Um, I think we should have won that game. I think we got, we got a few things wrong and we got a lot of things right. And then the following week, we got hosed in Eden Park and that was a chastening experience. Uh, we'll talk a lot more about this test series over the next few weeks, but uh, give us your prediction for the test series. Um, I'm... I'm, positive as I'm ever. Looking, I am. Do you know, I am. Of course, I'm positive. I think we have a good history against them now recently. Um, I think we're not too. I think we're tired, but I'd say we're nearly more pissed off than tired. You know, I think that um, guys would have liked the season to end better. And rather than having to wait until the, the start of the next season, they now get a chance to put a, a green jersey and put certain things to, to rights. Um, I think it's a big squad. I love the midweek matches. I, I think that is just essential for the game um, and for trying to grow the game. And we have very small numbers, so this is the great opportunity to pick players and get to see them in a, in a different context. But I'd have a, I, of course, I would. Now I don't know what that means. I don't know what that confidence means in this instance. But I'd like to see um, an Irish team this Irish team win a test in New Zealand and I think they have that capacity to do so whether they can win a test series or not I think sure that would be a, a trip of trips but Ireland need to understand winning these big games and they need to see if they can get a win down there just to sow some doubt into New Zealand for the next World Cup Keith great stuff as always we'll talk to you over the next couple of weeks cheers Nathan mind yourself